So when we do something, usually there's a feeling that there's a big you that did it, right? Or is doing it. There's always a feeling like when there's a, there's a noticing of a thought, you may not, you may notice that there's a feeling that they're yours or you did them, yeah? Like you're the thinker, yeah? When you hear something, there's usually a sense or a feeling of vagueness that you're the hearer of things, you're hearing things. When you're seeing, there's a feeling of being the seer, yeah? So the same saying goes to, let's say, meditation. You're doing meditation and there's a feeling that you're the meditator, yes? Okay, so for some of us, meditation means a lot more than hearing, so then there's a lot more meaning given through the meditation to the meditator. Yeah? So something that's really, that you think is more important than, let's say, doing the dishes, the selfing, this mental process, will get a larger reflection of being a self doing that activity, like meditation. Yeah? So, and if you ever get introduced to Buddhism, they have a thing called the Eightfold Noble Path from um, when it became formalized Buddhism. And so you can look at it as a circular or a linear. We'll look at it linear, you know, meaning like in AA there's the 12 steps. So you go one, two, three. So linear, there's these Eightfold Noble Path. First of all, Buddha said what the problem is is your suffering, yeah? Maybe it's a malaise or a sense of dis-ease. You can't put your finger on it, but it's an underlying sense. And you can tell by how much you're driven to look for things to, to feel better that something must be off, yeah? Or you wouldn't be driven so much to seek. So that feeling, he said, the root of that, that suffering, what's causing the suffering is desire, yeah? And I like to look at it in a certain other way, which is the desire to become, yeah? So you want to become somebody that you don't think you are, and you want to become, not become something that you think you are, yeah? So you may think you're a loser, you don't want to be a loser, yeah? And then also you want to be enlightened, so you, want, you have a desire to be enlightened, thinking it's going to bring a great advantage to you, yeah? So, all right. So then the Eightfold Noble Path, he says, all right, so suffering, desire is the root of it, yeah. The thing is, let's find something to cease the suffering. And then he says, and this is the way to go, the Eightfold Path. So in the Eightfold Path, he says, the, right, the first step is right view. Yeah, view? Like an understanding, or something like that, right view. Then it would say right, right, right livelihood, right understanding, a lot of rights, you know, right meditation. And the way I first was, when the first, first time I got introduced to Buddhism and I approached that, that, take, that take or view was, I'm going to meditate into the right view. I'm going to have an understanding into the right view. My livelihood I'll use to get myself into the right view. But I found that failed. The right view is the most important, or that's the first step, yeah? And the right view, the rightness of the view migrates into the other activities in your life. So it makes what you may not call the right, a right livelihood a right livelihood. Meditation, a right meditation, right understanding. So it's not produced by the activities, but it migrates from the view to the activities. Yeah? Yes. So the whole point of meditation, in this sense of being a self, the meditation reinforces the idea of being the meditator. Yeah? That where, that's what I see as the bondage of self. Yeah? 
being a thing, being the doer, being the haver, being the feeler, being the thinker, being the action figure, that claiming of the one who's doing everything and having everything and thinking everything and feeling everything is the point of bondage. Yeah. Not what's, being facil- what's facilitating that, because you can facilitate bondage of self just as easily doing meditation as, you know, you know buying a quart of ice cream. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like nothing's off limits to the selfing. The selfing will use whatever it comes in contact with to reflect the self, to reflect this idea of being Paul. Yeah? And then some have a, cast a bigger reflection based on the meaning you give it. So if you've got a spiritual bent and you think it's more noble to meditate, it's going to produce a very, very, very big reflection of a meditator. Yeah? I'm serious. This is what happens. Yeah. So, if you entertain the right view while you're meditating, in a sense, then the meditation, just like anything else, could be helpful because you'll be using it to question who's doing it, who's having it. Yeah. And you'll see, hopefully, that there isn't a this this feeling of being so substantially you is very very vague. And really has nothing to back. It's it's not based on anything. It's just an assumption by the mental process. So the mental process goes. If you listen to your thoughts, yeah, the thoughts going on. First of all, you're holding them as your thoughts. But when you're listening to the thoughts, the thoughts are are being used to imply something or to insinuate something. One of them it insinuates and implies that you're a body all day. Because the only way you can think about you as in the past is as a body. Yeah. How are you going to think about spirit three years ago? It would be exactly as it is now. You couldn't, there would be no differentiation, so you wouldn't be able to separate it from what is right now. But a body, I can think, oh, Paul four years ago was getting arrested in front of that 7-Eleven, you know, in San Bruno. And so when I'm, when I'm going back to the story of Paul having that happen, it's happening to a body. Yeah? So the thought system, the thought system, every thought system that we're saddled with right now pictures you as a body. When it thinks about you in the past, it thinks about you as a body. Yeah? And when it's worrying about you in the future, that's still a remembrance of a being you a body. You remember yourself right now as a body by worrying about yourself as a body in the future. Because if you really try to find yourself as a body right now, the story would fall apart. It, can, it only seems real yesterday and tomorrow. That's why your thought system is so into time. It's, you never think, you're thinking, you're always, the thoughts are always happening now, but they're never about the now that you're thinking about. They're always about yesterday and tomorrow. Yeah? Check them out. I mean, you've got to look at your own experience. No one's going to come here and save your ass because there's no ass to be saved. It's about just waking up to the fact that you're awake already. That all the shenanigans your head has gotten up to and believes happened and believes will happen has no power to affect you unless you believe it. If you take your belief and interest and attention out of the thought system, its sway over your days will lessen dramatically because it's your juice that it's using to hold sway over you. Yeah? How could it not be? This, yesterday, this was really bugging me, man. This fucking thing was a huge problem. I kept dropping it, this and that. 
Yeah? So Monday, this or what was it, Tuesday, this was a problem to me. Yeah? Wednesday, I'm feeling good, it's not a problem. Yeah? Thursday, I'm not feeling so good, it's a problem again. What is this thing? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It seems to be able to appear as both. One day problem, one day not a problem, next day a problem again. Because its appearance isn't based on this, it's based on you. How you are feeling. Yeah? How you feel you are that day is going to be given over to what you come in contact with. You're going to give everything all the meaning it has, all day. All day we're giving everything all the meaning it has. And the only way a thing can give us a meaning is we, if we take it to be real. Like there's a, a famous, it's not famous, but there's a, there's a book that's sort of like a channel book, yeah? Downloaded in some lady's head and some guy listened to it and wrote it down. Called The Course of Miracles. It came around 1970. It has some very interesting information in it. And one of the lovely statements that's hung on me for so many years now is, you and I are the dreaming of this dream. Yeah. If this can be a problem one day and not a problem another day, that's dreaming, bro. <laughs> you're giving something a meaning, and you're overriding the, whatever meaning it ever had by the meaning you give it, because it never had a meaning. Yeah? You dream it. You give it the meaning it has, and so here we go. You and I are the dreaming of this dream. We forget that we're dreaming this dream. And how do we do that? How do we forget that we're the dreaming of this dream? Well, we remember that we're a dreamt object. Yeah? So I take this to be me, which is a dreamt object. In this condition, I give everything I'm dreaming the power to affect me. Thoughts, feelings, everything I'm dreaming now has the power to affect me. How? As the body, as the thinker, as the actor, as the hearer, as the seer, as the feeler. Yes? So now the feelings and the thoughts and the actions that I owned now own me. Yeah? I claimed them, these are my thoughts, and now they have the ability to drive me freaking crazy, seemingly. Yes? What would happen, and it's not the thoughts that are so freaking good, because one day they drive you crazy, and the same thoughts the next day don't. How could that, how could that be? If the thought was a solid thing and only had this one meaning to it, if it bothered you that one day, it would be apt to bother you every other day. Yeah? But the thought doesn't have a meaning unto itself. It signifies something to our head, but we give the weight to it. Yeah? We give the meaning to it. We forget that, and now we're thinking like the thoughts are driving me crazy. No, the thoughts are being used to drive you crazy. It's different. The thoughts are being used to drive you crazy, just like the feelings can be used to drive you crazy. The actions can be used to drive you crazy. What you have can be used to drive you crazy. What you don't have can be used to drive you crazy. Yes? Not because they have the ability to do that, but you have the ability. You're the only reality there is. You're the only reality there is. There's a simple uh, physical uh, physics axiom called the biggest influence of any experiment is the observer of it. Voila, voila, voila. Yeah? 
the biggest influence of any life is this. We're the thing that's giving meaning to life. We believe that life is real and solid, so it looks like it's giving meaning to us, but if you really investigate, if it gave you meaning, if that tree gave you a meaning, yeah, then it would be the same meaning it would constantly give you if it was a real tree with that meaning. But it's not a real tree with that meaning. The tree just signifies something, the head rips on it, based on sort of where it's at that day. If it's feeling good, oh, I love that tree. If it's looking for something, I hate that fucking tree. Yeah? And in, for that sense, the tree's an impediment one day, it's a beautiful specimen of the oneness of the universe the other day. Yeah? It never overrides the meaning you give it. It doesn't say a fucking thing, does it? You're looking at the tree, I hate that tree. Oh, I beg to differ. I'm a lovely tree. No, it's just there, almost like a, a screen, or almost like a, yeah, like a screen that you throw a meaning on. Then you forget that you did it, and then you go, that freaking tree is driving me crazy. Yeah? But the fact is, it was thrown. The meaning was thrown out. Be identified with this. We forget that occurs, or is occurring. We forget that we're the dreaming of the dream, and we take the dream to be real, and the dream bites us in our dreamt ass. Over and over again. Yeah? All day. We're being led by the nose, by the thought system. How many thoughts does it take to ruin a day? <laughs> Not many most days. Yeah? You could be flying high, and then the thought just goes that old familiar one. Oh, you don't deserve this. What? There you go. Paranoia comes up. You know, withholding it. Oh, yes. Oh, I don't deserve this. It's too good. I can't stand it. But the same head, if you're having a bad day, you think it's, gonna, it's the entrance into a lifelong depression. You can't... It's insane to let this thing run the show. It's a very, very fucking weird thing. When it's going good, it wants to shorten it. When it's, when it's going bad, it wants to elongate it. Do you want that to be the interpreter of every one of your days? Of course you're going to want to get fucking loaded. When you see it's hopeless, I can't get out of it because you're identified as it. Self can't get out of self. That's what's driving people crazy. They are very, very uncomfortable, but they can't make the leap into the real freedom because they're identified as the source of the dilemma. So they can't entertain being free from it. They're only entertaining being free as it, which is a fruitless attempt, a fruitless journey. It's freedom from it. But that cannot be entertained when the identification as it is in place. It's the perfect deterrent to everything the identification as. That's why people don't go for freedom. They try to get therapy. They try to, you know, learn social skills. They try to, I'm just not going to act that at the next picnic I'm invited to. You know, their, their idea of success gets so meager, you know, just, you know, it's like putting up with this giant fucking oafish dog, and because it's yours, you keep fight-feeding it, and it's shitting over everywhere, biting you and everyone else, and you brought, you brought it to protect you, now it's running you. You can't get out of it. But if you're not that, bro, if you're not that, the next thing opens up. I can be free from it. Not, I will be free from it, or I was once free from it, I can be free from it now. Yeah? And if I can be from it now, what stops me from being from it now? 
because every freaking thing you call the next minute is now, or the next day is now, or the next year is now. So if you can sense the freedom from it now, guess what? Everything else is going to be a now. You now have it in your gut that it's a possibility, and then there's no stopping the mind at that point. Yeah? Once it gets out of the little Chinese puzzle, which has it really, really confused, I want to get, I want freedom, I long for it, it sounds great, but there's a little, there's like a, a lock there that you're going to try to get free as a self, yeah? which isn't freedom. It's just another identification. Just like if I have cats and I have my old leather jacket on, it's just like if I have robe with a loving gaze. It's still identified as the one who has it. Yeah? Bondage of self. Bondage of self. Taking yourself to be a self is the bondage of self. And then when the bondage of self is so rooted, when you want to get out of it, you're trying to get out of it as a self. Good luck. Self can't get out of self. Or as a great Zen master said, Hoang Po, you can't use the mind to seek the mind. You can't use the Buddha to seek the Buddha. You can't use light to seek light. You can do it for eons and nothing's going to happen. So if there's a mistaken identity in place... Let's say you have that desire to become like a lion, you know, because you feel like a sheep and you're tired of getting your ass kicked and, you know, used for lamb chops and freaking sweaters and herded with other freaking sheepish members of the flock. Whatever. You want to break free. And so you run into a book about lions and you go, oh, just lions kick ass, king of the jungle, huge roar, everyone freaking pays attention to them. Hey, it would be great if I could have some of the qualities of a lion, not knowing that they already are a lion, yet they're identified as a sheep. So now they get the double whammy, they're identified as a sheep, and now they try to become like a lion, as a sheep. Instead of recognizing I'm not a sheep, bam what happens? You're the lion. And when it dawns on you, you're the lion, it dawns on you, you always were the lion. And it dawns on you, you always will be the lion. Yeah. That's the radical freedom. That's something to rely on. Yeah. Something that's been revealed, never to be unrevealed. Yeah. Just like when I was a kid, I was 12 years old. Uh, 11, 12, you know, you're starting to look, want to look good, you know what I mean? And you're very concerned about your appearance, taking yourself to be the body. You know, just thinking about you as a body all day. So I got some clothes and I had these corduroy pants, these red pants that I thought were really cool. I had a long sleeve uh, gray shirt, and I'd go to the mall and I'd strut around, and I was getting a lot of looks. So I'm thinking, hey, it works. And it was like my favorite outfit, you know? I was growing my hair longer. I was about 13 or 14, whatever. Going to Roosevelt Field in Long Island, strutting around, looking at my self reflection. All I got was, oh, I'm looking pretty good. Gray, red, gray, red, gray, red. And then about three months into this, one of my friends had compassion for me and said, Paul, do you know the color of those pants? I said, yeah, red. He says, no, they're magenta, bro. You know, you know that gray shirt? It's pink. It's like colorblind. Yeah? So now the truth is revealed. The truth is revealed. The guy tells me, hey, it's a pink shirt and magenta pants. I see it. I see it as, as pink and magenta. Yeah? 
And every time I go back, from that point on, every time I go back in the closet and look at it, it was still pink and magenta. I never took it to be gray or red ever again. Yet I was taking it to be gray and red for freaking months, building this whole identity on it. <laughs> the people looking at me because, you know, I had a pink, a pink long sleeve shirt with magenta pants on. <laughs> but as soon as it was revealed to me, I never made the mistake again. It didn't take any time at all. The guy said, you know, that's pink. And the mission, and I went, and I followed. It was like that. It was like a rude awakening. And I never wore those pants again. This is what it's like. We're walking around. There's nothing at all that's stopping us from recognizing or realizing something that could be really valuable in our lives, yet you may not have heard it yet. Maybe you need an invitation. So this isn't as easy as the pink and the magenta, because it was so, you know, it was right there. But it's similar. We're inviting you to entertain an idea, yeah? And I believe, I have faith in mind, that if you entertain that idea, it's going to crack open, and it's going to allow you to travel lighter here. And when you travel lighter here, it's going to get more traveling lighter, Yeah? And then you'll start holding the space for people without any effort or thought on your part. Yeah. Nothing will go to your head because you don't have a head. You're not identified as a body. Yeah. So you're just doing your thing, doing your thing. And I see it. I see, I see the light go on a lot of times. The problem is people go home and think about it, and there goes the light. You know? <laughs> but that's why we have two meetings a week. So that we keep repeating it. So that, I mean, just keep repeating it. Just like you said, you were here years ago, and I said, nothing's changed, because nothing's changed. It's the same invitation, because there's no other point to go anywhere else until this is addressed in my, my humble, humble view. Because I've done a, I was like the spiritual crash test, test dummy. I did tons of shit. I did 13, you don't have to sit for 13 hours. I sat for 13 hours in freaking jungles in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just, <laughs> it was insane what I would do with the hopes that somehow it would make me better. You know, it would give me an advantage. Well, I'm here to save you some freaking time. If you have that inclination. If you don't, you know, life will teach you, man. Keep on keeping on. I had it. This happened to me when I first started this. I was reading a Buddhist magazine, Tricycle. It's a very light, nice, beautiful magazine they put out. I don't know. I think they still do it. Once a year, once a month. I don't know what. But I was reading it. And they had an editorial from a famous meditation teacher. Yeah? I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was pretty, it had a big impact on me. And I'm reading it, and he says, oh, you know, I've been having this familiar scene this last couple of months. All my long-term meditators have been coming to me saying, you know, really, nothing's fucking happened. <laughs> that little essay saved me a whole lot of fucking time. <laughs> I didn't see myself as any different than those people he was describing, and I, because I've been in for maybe 11 years. I said, fuck it. I mean, Jesus Christ, what do I need to... I can learn from others now. It's great. So, bingo. So, so what happened with me, I came to a meeting like this in 
Berkeley, I think it was, somewhere. Had to be Berkeley. <laughs> In the 9,000, 2000, no, 96 or 97. And I heard this message or a similar thing, and it didn't even matter if I heard it. I just felt being there. I felt some presence. I felt something, and the, the acknowledgement of it was like prior to knowledge. You know, it was like before I knew this, I knew this. You know, before I knew anything else, I had known this. And it was like an unspoken yes, yeah? In my head, even though the same shit was seemingly happening and I was totally engaged in giving meaning to things and making things unreal real and stuff like that, there was a little chink in the little process. The continuum had got altered, yeah? And that little pause grew. I went to some more satsangs, read a couple of books, went to India to see two, a couple of these people who shared this stuff, and then that was more than enough. And then it just flowers, you know, it just flowers. I honor it with my attention, or attention, and I'm very keenly interested in it. So it's like there's a great mass in Nizagadatta says, all you need is earnestness, you know, to be earnest around it or to have the ability to honor it. It's going to become obvious to the mind, yeah? More and more and more and more and more and more. And more will be revealed. And then if you're so inclined to meditate, you'll meditate, but not as the meditator. You'll just be in the action of that's going on. Yes? Your life will be more verbing than noun verb. Yeah? Yeah? You'll be more at the end. You'll be more in what you would call a flow. Yeah? And then all the mental partitions will weaken. The idea that there's a demarcation between Monday and Tuesday is pretty freaking absurd. You know? The idea that yesterday has its own reality other than what we give it, baloney. And then the future has its own reality other than what we give it, that's also baloney. Yeah? We're it. We are the reality here. Like it or not. Yeah? We are the reality. If something really, really feels so real to you, it's because the reality is lending it that meaning. Yeah? Where else could it get it? How could something in the realm of false evidence ever appear real? Truly, it can't. It can only appear real to what's real, and that's us. Yes? So we can make false evidence appear to be real based on the condition we seem to be in. If the condition changes, we'll see that false evidence as false evidence. It didn't go back into being false evidence. It was always false evidence. It needs us to believe it to appear real. If we don't believe it, it stays false. Yeah? And after a while, you get bored of falseness. You get bored of the same tape about you as an action figure and what's going to happen when I'm destitute three years from now. Well, you'll fucking find out. Yeah? <laughs> it may be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Who knows? But you sure have tons of meaning about what it means to be destitute. And you're wrapped in those meanings because you're the one who has them, having them, yeah? What happens if you're not that? You'll lose freaking interest in it. And you'll gain interest in what? Find out. But I know now your interest and attention will enrich your day, not enslave your day to yesterday and tomorrow. It will enrich your day. You'll have an immunity to time. Yeah? Not with any effort on your part. It just comes about. Just, just free from this, get free from this false bondage. Realize you can't get out of an imaginary place. Realize you can't get into a moment any more than you are right now because you can never be out of a moment. When these things become clear, all the little agitating moving in your daily seat will chill out. Yeah. 
You'll be what they call present. Not because you did anything, because you stopped doing a lot of shit. We're doing it in five different rooms and five different <laughs> Same message. You just fell in the English room. You should go to the Spanish room. It's very good. Much more passion than we have here. <laughs> so, do uh, you have a question? Yeah. What about going for like a practice? Hmm? A practice for like, um, for realizing that we're not. Well, there's plenty of places to get that. Many practices that you can do like on your own. Well, living. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you need practices, I'm not into the business of practices. Okay. There's too many of them there. Yeah, yeah, it's like I'm like a kiosk in a little fish market selling cod. I have nothing to do with salmon or mackerel. <laughs> I can tell you how to fry the cod, have it sushi-wise, but I'm not going to freaking... If you want mackerel, get mackerel. Because if you eat a lot of mackerel, you're going to want cod sooner or later. <laughs> because everything you do is going to... All the some things you do are going to lead to nothing if they're worth their salt. And actually, if you're worth your, your salt, then you are. Yeah? So why not stop, start at nothing and then do something? Yeah? Take this idea that what you're taking yourself to be may not necessarily be true. Throw a little suspicion in there. Yeah? Throw a little suspicion in there. Check out, like, if you have, let's say you're worrying about next week, maybe throw a question in there. If you want to practice, here you go. Worrying about next week, why don't you throw a question in there? Who is it that's worrying about next week? Instead of rushing to do something about worrying about next week, or having a judgment about, I shouldn't be worried about next week. Just ask, who is it that's doing it? And maybe, just maybe, you won't, you won't find out, you will find out there's no one home, in a sense. Yeah? Yeah? And that, em that, em that emptiness of house is really what you are. You're the space where you're looking for a thing to be. You're a space, yeah? You're not a thing. So when you're trying to see your original face, you're never gonna, it's never going to cast a face. It's something, it's not a face, it's not a thing. It's like, if you want to give it the name spirit, yeah? You're more of that. Yes. Yeah. So ask yourself the question, and, so, and then ask yourself, who wants a practice? Who wants that practice? Well, it's me. Well, who's this me? And let your attention stay focused this way, not out there, but this way. And ask, who is it that's here? Because the mental state is making a case that it's here as a body. And it's using a lot of things to facilitate that case. It's constantly implying that you're, you have things you, you have to do with tons of shit that you have nothing to do with. Yeah? I'll give you the example. I went back east a while to do some talks. I hadn't been there a while. And of course, I hadn't cut my hair, so my hair was long, you know? So people, I, right before the talk started, someone said, oh, you're growing your hair, you know? I said, oh, yes, thank you for noticing. I'm growing my hair, you know? And I wanted to speed it up, so I joined a group, and we get together, and grow our hair together. I find it grows faster when I'm at a group. And, it's, and we made a joke, and it seems so absurd, but the statement is, it sounds innocent, but it's deadly. 
It's implying that I have something to do with something I have nothing to do with. If I don't cut it, it's going to grow. Yeah? But the language implies I was doing that thing which I had nothing to do with. Well, I'm telling you, it's implying that quite a lot. A lot more than you believe. You know, it's assuming you have tons of things, you have things that you, you're involved in things you have nothing to do with. Tons of the time. And you're listening to it avidly, it's the navigator of your day, isn't it? You're, wait, you're waiting for your, the thoughts to tell you how your day was. This used to blow me away. I'd go to work when I ever went to work, you know. And I'd go to work, and then I'd, I'd get home at like at 8 o'clock at night, and then the head would pontificate and tell me I had a bad day. Like I wasn't in the day to begin with at all. Like, oh, that's news to me. I thought I had a good, no, you had a bad day. And then he'd give me the reason why. But it was like an eight-hour time delay. If I, if I was in my day, I would know it was bad, wouldn't I? Why am I just like on a, like a time lag and I'm just waiting to be told how things are, how they were, how they're going to be, how, who I am, who you are. You know what I mean? It's freaking insane. That pause that you haven't heard how you are today from the mental state, that's what we are, is that pause. We are the absence of that fucking mental chatter. We are the context of that which is holding everything that's appearing. All the thoughts, all the feelings are appearing in the context of that we are. Yeah? Yet, we're so seemingly lost, we're taking our cues from a very failed system of thought and interpretation called self-centeredness. If you're in recovery, are you? You know, in recovery, there's a beautiful statement in recovery on page 64 of this book called The Big Book. I think it's 60, no, this one's on 67, I think. It says, why are you in so much fear today? It's a great statement. Why are you in so much fear today? And he doesn't let you answer, which is great. (laughs) He says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So if you look at it cleanly, self-reliance is a failed system. Reliance on it is the petri dish for the fear that you seem to be having. Yeah? Mostly anxiety, mental anxiety. So fear isn't causing the anxiety. Self-reliance is. When you're relying on self, you're going, to be in, you're going to be anxious because you know it's a failed system, and so you're not expecting to get great results, are you? And if I'm not expecting to get great results day after day after day after, I'm going to probably get loaded at 10 in the morning <laughs> to try, to, try to, to escape from the rest of the fucking day. Yeah? You don't see it? Self-reliance failed you. That's why you're in so much fear. Why did it fail you? Because it's a false assumption. You're not a self. You're not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, thinking, feeling, tasting, touching, and this little vague you in there doing it all. You're not. When you rely on that as the system, that the center of the whole system that you're navigating by, it's not going to lead you to the promised land. It's going to promise you a lot of shit, but it's not going to lead you to the promised land. And yet we go back to that dry well over and over and over again because it has one hook that is undeniable, that's so attractive to our mental state. It's about me. I am that. We have become identified as what we're not and we're sensing the absence of our own fucking qualities. Yeah. 
It's a form of slavery. You can wake up. You're awake right now. You just think that it means a whole lot of stuff that it doesn't mean. That it implies there's a you. It doesn't fucking imply that. Your mental state makes that story up. Every time there's an action, the action is, doesn't have a little point in saying, you're the actor. You're the, it's just, it's made up. An action is noticed, and then there's just the logic, the mental logic goes, oh, there must be an actor. Thinking, oh, there must be a thinker. And guess what? I'm it. I'm the center of it all. I think and I feel and I taste and I touch and I have and I lose. Jesus Christ. <laughs> How's it working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, how's it working out? Because you hope, no matter how bad it is now, you still have a, a driving hope that it's going to be better, with absolutely no substantial evidence of it at all. You just, you just feel, oh, it's got to get better. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to do anything. You have absolutely no power here. Yeah. And yet you're the, you're the source of all power. See, that's the freaking crazy thing about it. How you get reintroduced to the power that you are is admit the powerlessness that you're in right now. Because if you're having frustration, you're discouraged, and you're pissed off, it means people, places, and things aren't doing what you want them to do. That implies what? No power. <laughs> no, I get sex, but I pay, you pay for it? Yeah, no power, bro. <laughs> you got no power. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. I get, oh, yeah. <laughs> she likes to see me after I buy a $5,000 worth of stuff. No power, bro. No power. <laughs> that's the dilemma powerlessness and why is it a dilemma when you exert power that you don't have <laughs> it becomes a huge dilemma <laughs> you've missed a very important point you don't got the juice yeah? but you believe you got the juice day in and day out and then you just pile on frustrations and discouragements and excuses and rationalizations and blame to make, to make up a story why it is the way it is. But basically it's rooted in powerlessness. Yet, that powerlessness is the source of all the solution. Yeah? When you admit that you're powerless, then you feel a source of power come in. Yeah? And you never experience powerlessness again. Or that's the possibility. Yeah? You're now infused with power through the threshold or through the door of powerlessness. If you take the Petri dish that fear grows out of, how much fear can grow? None. Yeah? You outgrow it. Fear needs self-reliance to fester, and that's where it's grown. If you take its culture away, how much can it grow? If you don't believe the thoughts that try to stoke it, how much can it grow? If you stop puffing and puffing, is there a house? The house disappears. Jesus, what's all that tongue is about? You're having an auction over there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's it, I guess. Any questions? It's an invitation, you know? I mean, um, 
I'll just tell you this thing about the sheep and a lion. Very simple story. Beautiful story. It's an old Hindu story. And it's about this, this lion cub and, and the mother are roaming around. The lion cub's very, very young. And the mother gets killed, and now the lion cub's orphaned. Yeah? So it's like roaming around the savannah, lost, and doesn't, can't eat, doesn't know what it is, doesn't even know what it is, you know, it can't find food, and it's getting really, 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 really exhausted, and he sees this flock of sheep. So it starts moving towards the flock of sheep. Now the sheep recognize it as a lion, so they start getting, they're a little nervous, but then they notice it has no fucking idea what's going on, and so they let the lion come in, and the lion ingratiates, the big cub ingratiates itself into the flock, and starts living as if it's a sheep, yeah? Now it's living like it's a sheep, and it's sitting around the fire, and they're all worried about who's going to be the next year's sweater, and everything, and it's concerned, and acting like that. It's got its hair curled, you know, and it's trying to ba ba ba, you know, chewing cud. Nothing's really satisfying it, but hey, it's a fucking sheep. What can it do? It's trying to make the most of a bad situation. Yeah? So there it is, and it's because it's respected in the sheep flock and everything, but if something's off, there's a malaise or dissatisfaction there. So one day, uh, an old lion comes running down the savannah and sees the flock and chases it for food. And it sees the young lion running and it's, it thinks it's joining the hunt, but it realizes the young lion's running with the sheep. So it veers off and goes after the young lion. The young lion rolls on its back and goes, Please, Mr. Lion, I'm a humble sheep. Don't eat me. <clears throat> now the old lion's pretty perplexed and just grabs it by the, the neck drags it to this water hole and puts both of their heads over and they see their reflections yeah, in the water. And the young lion gets it. Yeah? It gets it's a lion. And the old lion looks at it and goes, roar, and it roars. Yeah? It didn't have to take three months of roaring lessons. It was innately there, always available. It just wasn't being accessed. And what was keeping the access, the access not accessible was the identification as being a sheep. Yeah? The identification as being a sheep was seemingly cutting himself, cutting, cutting the lion off from its own nature. It's not true, but it was seemingly true to the lion. The lion has all that power, so it was something that seems to be true to the lion, it's true to the lion. Yeah? And so what happens here with us is, here we are, we're sheep in a sense, we're identified as a sheep, and a lot of us aren't happy with the sheep life, and so we're looking for other ways, and let's say we come across a book with pictures of old lions, and it describes their qualities, courageous, and the king of the jungle, ass-kicking, doesn't take shit from anything. And the sheep, oh, I'd like to have these qualities, yeah? I'd like to be like a lion. So then a couple other sheep sort of jump in, yeah, I'd like that. So we rent a hall and we get some, we find pictures of lions and we put them in nice frames and we get candles and then we sort of have meetings and we read this one book we have and we're yes, I want to be like a lion, I want to be like a lion. And then, you know, one of the entrepreneurial sheep lions says, all right, we're going to have roaring classes every be nine o'clock. We found this old audio of a lion roaring, and then you're, you're all barring, but they're going, you're sounding better, Norman. It's almost like a roar, ba ba ba. 
Everyone's getting their hair, their hair straightened, and they're trying to make a mane. And they're they're doing, and they're noble. They're in their own group, they're oh, Norm's doing really great. He sat in the lion pose for four hours today, meditating that I, I can be like a lion. I can be like a lion. I'm a lion. I'm a lion. But he's doing it all as a fucking sheep. If you're not the sheep, you may find you're the lion, and then you just roar. Yeah. Question what your reference is. If it's not true, why be beholden to it? Except they're selling people into slavery. <laughs> Don't go in there. But you But you see, this question, this message is very simple. I don't want to study what it's like to be a lion. I want to study what it's what it's like to be a sheep and realize I'm not. Yes? I can know what I'm not. I can never know what I am. I can find out what I am by knowing what I'm not. Yeah? Like there was a great Zen master from Japan, Dojen, who said, to study Buddhism is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. So here we study the self and in so doing, we hope that we forget it. Because we're going to see it as a foreign installment. We'll break that little cherished identification, at least in a, like a suspicious manner, sort of question that identification as being that. And if you're not that, all bets are off. Yeah? I hope I'm getting this. <laughs> Do you know what language? No. I think it's the longest horse race ever. This is an ancient language. He's probably saying, fuck you in an ancient language. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> Sometimes we have music, it's great. You gotta just entertain the choreography of this event. It's just mind boggling what's going on. It really is. You, it may seem like it's nothing, but there's so much in that it's nothing. I swear to God, if you opened up to what's happening here, yeah. I mean, when I got sober, it took a, it was like a five-minute intervention, a divine intervention. I just shared an AA meeting today, so I got to tell the story. But, in this life, I have been addicted to drugs and alcohol since I was about 13. God didn't really into drugs when I was about 15, I guess. Intravenous drug user. And it basically was the determining factor of the rest of my years, from 13 on to about 36. So that was a nice run, 23 years, I guess. And I went to so many, a lot of terrible places. Uh... You know, my mother wanted to wanted it to be different. <clears throat> you know, the state wanted it to be different. My friends wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be different. My enemies wanted it to be different. Nothing budged it. It just had a life of its own until it didn't. And it happened in about a five-minute uh, download. First, the mind was stopped, that incessant chatter of selfing. 
for a few minutes, and then something downloaded and pierced me in what they would call the innermost. It didn't stop at the mental state, it went deeper. It's not deeper, but it, it implies something deeper. And it pierced me, and it was like a CNN news flash with no story, and it was, I'm fucked. Now, people who knew me knew I'd been fucked for quite a while, but I never let it really hit me. It always was up here, but it never went deep. But it went deep, and that was the moment of starting to be unfucked as this action figure. As soon as that admittance, of that deep admittance that I was fucked, pro provided the opportunity for another possibility to be entertained in this dualistic expression out here. And now, for 27 years, I've been recovered, and I've never had a thought or a feeling about using the drinking ever since. Never. Never, never even enters my freaking head. So, in all intents and purposes, the problem doesn't exist for me anymore. Now, this message that I'm sharing today took that a little bit farther, and it brought me to a real state of stabilization because it brought me to the problem doesn't exist as me anymore. Yeah? As an experience, the problem doesn't exist for me can occur as the problem, to the problem, yeah? That's why it's limited in the experience. But when it moved to a state, and I realized the problem doesn't exist as me, that's when peace and, and that presence stabilized, yeah? And it seems so far to think that you could prime a pump, or you can make it happen, or you could do your, or have yourself into this state. It seems so obviously blatantly off that I never go down in those entertaining roads. Yeah? The whole point was a, to a freedom from the need to be liberated. And what needs to be liberated is not what you are. It's what you're not. And if you're not, you can be freed from the need to be liberated. That's real liberation. Yeah? You'll realize you can't, there's no need to get into the moment because you can't be out of it. And you'll realize you can't, no need to get out of self because you can't be in one. Doesn't matter what you think or how you feel, it's all, that's all been, take, that's all been commandeered. It's a giant production using you, you're the light for its performance art. You're the light. You're giving it the flaw, the dance, the choreography. Without you, you as the light, the movie wouldn't be going on. The movie that keeps indicating that you're this and you're fucked and you're that and you're this. It's just a lot of huffing and puffing and there's no house to be blown down. So, there you have it.